0: Okay, we will go ahead and start. You guys got your coffee, right? It's, it's, it's still being made. We're going through the coffee this morning, understandable. We actually have a little bit warmer weather. That's happening. Is it is it uh, cool in here still yet or is it warmed up pretty good? It's pretty good. Got the sun shining through. Nice to see. They said it was going to be snowing, so here we are. And uh, none of us slid into the place, into the the building or anything this morning, right? Nothing out there, that's slick. Um, We continue on in Luke. You guys ready? I'm just stalling, but uh, I've ran out of stall material. I don't have that written down, so we'll go right into it here. We're going to be in Luke 9, 57 through 62 today. It's called The Cost of Following Christ. The master of evangelism is who? Jesus Christ, He is the master of evangelism. So, what's evangelism? Well, that's just telling good news. It's the gospel, really. Uh, He's the perfect model to follow. He showed how it is to present the gospel, how to get into the kingdom of God. Jesus traveled all over Israel, right? He went everywhere, from north to south, spent a lot of time in Galilee. Most of the time, that's what we see in our study of Luke here for instance, and he repeatedly called people to enter the kingdom of God. He called them to follow him, really is what it is. Follow me, he said constantly uh, wherever he went, because that was really what his mission was about. That's really why he came here, uh, follow me, but of course, he came here also, for the most part, for the the gospel to be um, Followed and to be lived out is that he had to go to the cross. And that's really where all of this is heading. It's going to the cross. In the meantime, he's calling people to follow. And it's not just for a momentary time. Make a decision uh, at this point in time. But we're talking about a lifetime, not an event, a one-time happening. But it's... Uh, A lifetime. Now, John MacArthur wrote a paragraph here on what it is to take that call that Christ had and to follow him. And what he does is he takes it to a juxtaposition of a modern evangelism today and compare it to Jesus and the method, the way that he presented uh, the gospel evangelism, entering the kingdom, following Him. you hear all these phrases that have been quite popular in the last hundred years. And yet sometimes it's like, where did that really come from? Did that really come from Christ? Some of those phrases are certainly acceptable and they're fine. But some of them are ones that I think have kind of been invented through time because you don't see Jesus all the time saying the same things that modern evangelism presents. He says this, Modern evangelism would lead us to believe that becoming a Christian is a matter of a moment, not a lifetime. It's a matter of accepting Christ. It's a matter of an emotional experience to which you were led by fiery preaching or heart-rending stories or music whatever might be used to induce a person to a moment of emotional breakdown where they will pray a prayer, make a decision, accept Christ, that seems to be the direction of modern evangelical evangelism. All they have to do is grab that moment, say that prayer, and if they don't, what it should be, will give them a formula to pray. And that's all it takes to become a Christian. Now, you ever heard of get saved there's nothing wrong in that because it's dealing with salvation but it says we want to get people saved and what we do is we move them emotionally so they'll respond now God uses emotions and he uses the mind and such But a lot of times today, it's by emotions that people will walk the aisle, sign a card, say a prayer, whatever it is, some quick moment, and all of a sudden they're saved. And yes, there is a point in time where you are saved, but there are gimmicks that churches will use to get people saved. And so it will move them emotionally to a moment of crisis, or a moment of decision, or a moment of acceptance of Christ, He never brought anybody that I know of in the New Testament to a place where they were supposed to pray a prayer. Is there anything wrong with prayer? I'm I'm quoting MacArthur here. Is there anything wrong with prayer? No. And for salvation. But just to get them to say the sinner's prayer and boom, they're saved. And if that be the case, just to move them just to say that and say, okay, now you're saved... It was that the way Jesus ever presented the gospel. You'll never see that, as MacArthur says. He goes on and says, Never did he do that. Never did the apostles do that. None of them ever moved towards some crisis event in which supposedly sinner was redeemed from sin and death and hell. And yet the call to Christ, the call to salvation is typically viewed in our world as an event, as a response to an emotional moment. Not so in the words of Jesus. When Jesus invited someone to come into His kingdom, when Jesus invited someone to receive His forgiveness and salvation, He asked that person for the rest of his life. He didn't want a moment. He didn't want the emotion of a moment. He wanted this carefully thought out, understood that it was a commitment of a lifetime. End of quote. He's making a statement there that a lot of times, if you've grown up through a church that has an altar call, has the invitational hymn, and it keeps doing it till it breaks people down emotionally, and so they walk <laughs> the aisle, they become Christians. It wasn't always the case. Now I'm not running that down and saying that's always wrong, but. There is a cheap salvation that that is offered in, in our world today, and that's why we have what would be people who say they're Christians because they joined a church, but they really never became Christians. As Jesus made His call, that was actually a call to full commitment, to give your life to Him. It's to say, remember the songs that we sang this morning? You guys picked those out, it's good ones, like, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Take my life and let it be. You know, that's, that's really what Jesus wants in a response. Lord, you take my will and be the way that it's supposed to be. I was just thinking, um, be thou my vision. I mean, we are focused on Him. Uh, to stand for Christ in all elements, it's to stand for Him for righteousness' sake, right? And, oh Jesus, I have promised. Whenever we say, I want to follow You, we promise Him that I want to give You My life. I am resolved, right? I am resolved to continually follow Him in every way. Take My life. Have Your own way, Lord. And you know what? That's when He looks beyond our faults. And He said, you could tie all those together, couldn't you? But... It's following him wholeheartedly. And sometimes, he would make statements that are rather troubling. Matter of fact, they can make you and me uncomfortable. Uh, Sometimes, the way that he would say things, he would actually dissuade people away from following him. Making a decision. He'd say, what? What are you talking about? And... One of them is in the passage that we're dealing with today. Uh, He's always calling people to follow Him, but He wants them to know why and what they are to do when they follow. At the end of John 6, many of His disciples, not not just the twelve, He had many disciples, many learners, followers, didn't He? There were the twelve, but many of the disciples, what happened? They left. Why did they leave? because they saw what He was demanding their whole lives. See, in John 6, I am the bread, right? I am the bread of life. You partake of Me. You eat of Me. It mean it's everything that He is, you do that. It's Christ in you, right? He is our bread. It's, it's Him, Him alone. And when they saw that and heard that, because, see, what they were wanting was more bread. See, they had been fed. 5,000 had been fed the day before. Come back the next day. Find him. What are they wanting? To get fed again. Free lunch, right? And Jesus says it's a lot different than the way you're thinking. We're talking about bread is me, Right? bread of life. You have to eat of me. From here on out, it's me in your life. And that offended people. So they left. I will tell you, it's very demanding. It's very uncomfortable. These people were disappointed because they thought the kingdom is that all oh, from here on out. He will provide me with all my physical food that I need. Because this is the kingdom, and here we are, we're right there at it. And it wasn't that time yet. So they were offended, they were disappointed. I want to tell you, as I studied this passage and many other texts that he has, I have to admit, sometimes I become very uneasy with the way that Jesus says things. He's a lion. Is he safe? But is He good? Right? He is a good God. Not always safe. When you start to grasp what Jesus is saying here, and it's taking a lifetime to grasp this, isn't it? Is this really what this is? This story is incredible. You know, we all like stories, don't we? Nandor is a writer of stories. And, and you get the idea of okay, what is, what is, everybody wants to hear a story. And I don't have to make up stories to tell you every week. All I have to do is go into the Scripture and we go right into the big story and we just take out a little bit of a... We don't even take a chapter of it, a little chunk of it. And we get to know personalities. So when you're doing a story right now, you're learning the characters and their personalities and how this whole line is going. It's building up and it's building up. The fact of the matter is, no, 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 we were reading about this story historically, but did you know what? You're in it. You're in this story. You may not see your name here, but you're written in the Lamb's book, written from the foundation of the world. You're in this story. And at the same time, we see here's what it is to follow Christ. And we go, oh, wow, really? Is that what it is? I didn't know that at first. So you don't have to know everything when you come to Christ, do you? matter of fact you know very little but one thing you do know you're a sinner and you need him you need him desperately because your life isn't doing it and I know I need something outside of myself because it's empty without it imagine a moment without Christ I, I don't know there's probably not a day that goes by that I don't think about that what if I didn't know him or better he didn't know me what if? That would be sad. I would be destitute. But I do see here, that I I suspect as we go through this story, it will make you a little uneasy too. As we study this matter a little bit further, you would think that Jesus would have softened this message down a little bit. Because that way people can still accept Jesus and still yet do the things that they like to do that may dishonor Him. But as long as I've accepted Him, everything's okay. What Jesus did whenever He took tough statements is sometimes He said those things to weed people out. Sounds very hard, doesn't it? But as you see through the Gospel, He says that He reveals these things to babes to other people who were well endowed with the knowledge of the, of the Bible of the word of God yet were not of God and he reveals it to others that's a tough statement to the religious it's really tough see Jesus never was interested in getting numbers and he never was interested in getting people who were nominal who didn't really, they didn't care too much. All they wanted to do was get saved. They wanted a kingdom and yet not be like Christ because they have their own life to live. Jesus, whenever He called people, He called them to a fight of faith. He called them to enter a war The kingdom we're in spiritually, but yet there is a kingdom to come and the war has to be fought before he comes back and conquers it completely. When you have an encounter with Jesus, you don't want to be a would-be disciple. You want to be a disciple, don't you? That means to learn, to follow. Jesus is very concerned He's very concerned when people say, Yes, Lord, I will follow You. Jesus says, Follow Me. Yes, Lord, I'll follow. But Jesus is also concerned in saying, Are you sure? Are you sure you really want to follow Me? Are you sure you really want to know what it is to get into the Kingdom of God? To be in that Kingdom? Do you realize what this is going to mean to you when you trust and follow Me. Do you know the cost? Anything that competes with Christ for our loyalty must be forsaken because it's an idol. I don't care what it is. Go to the extreme of things that are good, things that would even be religious, if they take the place a little bit or competes with Christ just a little ounce, that you are in idolatry. I'm in idolatry if it competes with who Christ is. He wants us to recognize that things that rival Him they will hinder our commitment to Christ. Jesus is identifying here those things that we love more than Christ. And yet we would say, no, I don't say I would love that more than Christ. It's maybe a little bit underneath Christ, or maybe right there, but not quite. That undermines true discipleship. This sounds like, oh, you're taking this to the extremes. And I know, here we go, I didn't pick this text... I have to treat it fairly with what Jesus... What would happen if Jesus came in here and preached on it? I'd be glad to sit down because I'm going to be so far short of what He was really saying and demanding. You know, this is a serious thing to even deal with God's Word and then to interpret it. But here we are with another tough one and week after week we've had that. What's He doing? He's training the disciples. You've noticed that, haven't you? He's training them. Here's what this is. Are they believers? Yes, except one. They're following Him. They're getting it a little bit at a time. They don't even understand the cross yet, though. They don't even understand it when they get to Jerusalem. They don't even understand it when He dies on the cross. They don't even understand when He resurrects. But we must see Jesus as He truly is and as He truly called people because he said this you have to be willing to give up everything for me let's take our Bibles and let's see if that is so sometimes I wonder am I getting a little bit hard on this and to be honest with you I'm probably very soft but if you say these things in churches it really gets people offended because Jesus definitely would you say that he is offensive Yeah, We will read it, verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, "Uh, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I'll follow you, Lord. I will do it. But first, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit. For the kingdom of God. Father, help us to understand a little bit further what this passage is about, for it seems totally different from the way that you would be, as the demands here are extreme. Help us to know what this means, so not soften it down, but not just to try to club ourselves over the head. But to understand truth here, this is about the kingdom and how we come into it and how we also proclaim it. In Jesus' name, we ask for your Holy Spirit for your understanding. Amen. Wow, this is quite the text. We've been running into these. Have you noticed in chapter 9 that this constantly happens? We had another one like this. The true cost of discipleship take up the cross, follow me, right? I bid you to come and die. Wow, those are statements. Would you say that Jesus is a little bit overboard here? Is He stretching the truth? Well, I could do that. But Jesus never does that. He does take tape things to the extreme and there are some ifs and ands, but for what he's saying here, what do we do with this, right? Well, what I'm going to do is put my guitar amp on standby. Did you guys hear that? Here we go. Nice little buzz, wouldn't it? Okay, we go into the verse uh, 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. They're going along the road, right? Okay, where are they at? Well, they're in Galilee. Yep, okay. Uh, It's probably somewhere around Capernaum, according to Matthew. And the headquarters is in that area where Jesus really uh, would say be based, be in that area, the Sea of Galilee, all around there. But all over Galilee, later into Judea. There's a crowd gathering as usual. Every time you see Jesus around, the crowds are trying to get close to him. And there's a good reason for that, isn't there? A lot of good reasons. Now, this passage is easy to outline. How many points would you put this in? Three, right? Usually a three-point outline is what people like to go with. But it's, it's real easy. You have one man says, I'll follow you. And another one says, uh, Jesus says, follow me. But the man said, but. And then the third one, the uh, man says, hey, I will follow you, but. And so there we go. There's the three point outline. So we go to the first one. And it's at the expense of comfort. At the expense of com- comfort that we follow Christ. That's a cost, isn't it? It does cost comfort. Now, it's kind of hard to identify a little bit here with this because here we are, we're in a building right now, pretty comfortable, probably around 70, 72 degrees in here. Sun is shining. We go home or we'll eat here and then we will uh, go home or somewhere and uh, we'll be in our homes and uh, we drive cars and we have uh, jobs and we have friends and actually things go pretty good here most of the time, right? in our lives but there are, there are interruptions <laughs> uh, there are uncomfortable times but what, is, what do you mean here this, this uh, expense of comfort ok you have this man and all of these are possible candidates matter of fact I think all of these possible candidates for the kingdom are convinced that this man is someone special. I mean, you'd be an idiot. It just you'd be stupid not to say yes. He's somebody special. Uh, a lot of them were saying he must be the son of God, or some of them were thinking prophets, right? Some kind of prophet, some kind of you know John the Baptist, whatever, Elijah. Uh, they they know that. He's something different than a regular man. Some know that He's the Son of God, that He is the Messiah. We don't know who these people are, these three individuals, but it happened. It happened along this road. There are people that are interested in Jesus. Are there a lot of people interested in Jesus? Yeah. Can there be people interested in Jesus but never saved? Yes, that's true. They at least been following Him, if not a lot, at least occasionally. They definitely knew about Him. Heard of Him. first man actually is a scribe. Now, you're going to be looking at Luke 9. Where, where did you get that? So it doesn't say that. It says someone. That's all we get there. To Luke, it didn't matter. But at least Matthew says, well, he's a scribe. So we turn to Matthew 8.19. It's good to have the Gospels, isn't it? They complement each other. They're witnesses. And that's what witnesses do. They complement each other. They never contradict each other, but they help each other. That is a proof that God and His Word is true. When we get witnesses telling about Him that they just fill in, they color in the blanks, and they tell us, and they never contradict so Matthew 8:19 says then a scribe came and said to him teacher i will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him foxes have holes so you can see this is the same context isn't it. And so it's a scribe and the scribe calls Jesus what rabbi teacher so he's a scribe well what's that what does that tell us briefly just think about what a scribe is. Um, I think it's fascinating that here that Matthew brings us forth because these scribes are highly esteemed by people in Israel because they were the experts of the law. They interpret the law. They're lawyers. They know what the Old Testament said. They know what the law said. So I'm sure that... uh, Audrey could identify with you know, a scribe, one who is, knows the law, that, that defends people because of the law or uh, other things that happen there. But scribes and the disciples are really on two sides. Matter of fact, the scribes dislike the disciples and Jesus. They're always going against them because, see, they have a business and it's the law the okay, only thing is, Jesus is the law. <laughs> Jesus is the very Word of God, right? I mean, he, he he fulfilled the law in every element, every word. So, they're enemies of Christ as a whole back then. That's I think this is fascinating that this the scribe here is ready to think about giving up the law and following Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Uh, But Matthew says, teacher. And so let's do that. The scribe is saying, didaskalos, teacher, rabbi. I want to get underneath your teaching and follow you. That's quite a statement. A rabbi? And here's the scribe? This doesn't make sense. He would be ridiculed by the Pharisees and the scribes all the lawyers, all the ones who were were after. the, uh, the, the, The Sadducees and such. That were after Jesus to kill him. We've already seen that. He says, and literally what this means is I want to join your group. Really? This would be a great guy to have on your side. This is a lawyer. He's an expert in the law. And guess what? He's wanting to join. And Jesus should be elated. All right. We've got somebody now on this team that knows something. Remember the disciples? They're fishermen. They don't seem to get anything. And we could get this lawyer and this will really bring in people to the kingdom now. Look at who we've got on our team. Right? He says, I'm willing to be a pupil under the teacher of all teachers. Nobody's heard anybody like this guy before. What a gain that would be to the team. Apostles would be added to we would have a well-educated scribe amongst us. He is sounding like he's giving the fullest commitment that he could. I will follow you wherever you go. Hey, you go to Jerusalem, you go to Cana, you go to Nazareth, I'll go there with you. Sounds sounds good. There's one thing Knowing the the context in here and what's the next verse. Jesus knows what's in people's hearts. Now that's where it cuts off from us. We don't know people's hearts. They can say those things and we can say, I think they mean it. I sure hope so. Sure sounds like they really mean that. And that's what we go with. And when people tell me things, I like to believe that. I want to believe it. Sometimes in the back of your mind you're going, I wonder if it's really true. But I'm going to go with what they say. So, we uh, now look at John 2, verse 23 through 25. Jesus had been doing miracles. Jesus really was doing some things, saying some things. And he had been at Jerusalem, and it was the feast of the Passover. So, Verse 24, at the end of 23, people were observing His signs, which He was doing. People are seeing amazing things. But Jesus, on His part, was not entrusting Himself to them. He didn't have faith that they had faith. That's what He's saying. For why? He knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knows what's in the heart. And if it's not true, he can tell it. He knows, right? Jesus knew that, even at that time, early on in his ministry. The people were believing in him, it said. They were observing his signs. But at the same time, as they're affirming Him, He knew what was in their heart. He had no faith in their faith. Because their faith really wasn't a true faith. So you know what Jesus does with this man now here, back in Luke? You would think He would say, fantastic, thank you. Join these guys over here. They'll tell you how you're to fit in here, you know. Let's go to the next one. No, because He knows that this guy doesn't really know what Jesus is demanding. He says, I want you to get this right. You know what Jesus does? He goes right to the heart of the issue. He doesn't lead the man on saying, oh, we can add to our number, now we got this scribe. No. Um, He knew this man had a desire for comfort. He knew this man had a desire for ease. See, we don't know those things about people until later on maybe. Jesus already knows, here's the problem with this man. It's just like the rich young ruler. Why did Jesus go right to the heart of the rich young ruler? Rich young ruler had followed all the laws as far as he was concerned. You know, I do this, I did this, I did this, did this, checks them off. You know, I mean, if anybody's getting the kingdom of it, it was the rich young ruler. And Jesus says, okay, fine, great. Okay, I'm going to. And, and really, what he's doing, he's saying, I'm going to show you what your problem is. And he says, what? Go take all that you have, all that you own, go and sell it, give it to the poor, and then follow me. What was the man's problem? It was the stuff that he wanted to continue with, the nice, comfortable situation that he was in, with all the money that he had, and respected. Give all that away, and follow me. What happened to the rich young ruler? As far as I know in scripture there, he turned back and he left. Jesus loved him, but yet at the same time it was like it was a sad moment because Rich Young Ruler couldn't give up whatever it was that was his idol. And he said, Fine, I'm sorry. I sorry, I gotta go. I was dejected. He says, I, I can't do that. That's why Jesus goes right to the heart. What's your problem? Are you willing to give that up? so I can fill in the hole when you give it up. See, he never goes in and takes something out and then leaves a hole there. What does he do? He comes in and fills it up with what you really need. So, it gets to the issue everybody knew about foxes having holes. Everybody knows about birds having nests. What's that saying? They have homes. Even the animals have their own homes. Even the birds have their own homes. That's just just basic, isn't it? And so he says, I don't even have that. Birds have more of a home than I do. Jesus is really taking this to the extreme. He didn't own a home, did he? You would have thought he could just come up with the money. You know, just have a fish come up and have gold (laughs) coins every day. And you know, he has this mansion sitting up on a hill while he lived here. He never had a home of his own. Um, Following me, Jesus is saying, is not just comfort. It doesn't mean comfort and ease and wealth. Some, think that that's what a Christian is. They will have ease and comfort and wealth. Following Me, it's no guarantee of any of that. See, I don't even own my own bed. Jesus is saying to this guy, He needs to hit this man where he's at. And He does. Listen, He's saying, are you willing to follow Me under these conditions? We don't get the... uh, the rest of the story here did the man follow him or not doesn't say does it all that Jesus does is address it to where he knows where this man is at and what his problem is are you willing to follow these under these me under these conditions are you willing to leave everything behind? Are you willing to leave your home to follow me uh, we don't know about this man. The impression that I'm left with is the man probably went away shaking his head, probably something like the rich young ruler. Now, I don't want to read into the text it may not be that, but that's the what I imagine here because Jesus is seeing where this man is at, and he doesn't say, "Yes, I still am, I don't care what it is. I'm following you, I'm willing to give up. it. We don't get that, do we? Uh, could be, but uh I don't see it. Jesus is saying there's a battle to be fought. You're entering a war. There's a race to be run. You're in a race. Keep running. There's a work to be done. Boy, there's a lot of hard things that you're going to have to endure. I think for this country, it's becoming a little bit harder for Christians. We are starting to see a little bit of persecution course you see some of the things that stand in foreign course abortion is one of the worst travesties that this nation has ever been a part of and uh, of course i think there's been now a law in california and the great governor that they have and i say great in a in a bad way uh, how how uh, evil can one be to believe in abortion but now that state Says that you can take abortion all the way up to the point of death or a birth, which death before you know they come out. What's next? It's only going to follow if they come out. You still don't want them. You can do. You can abort too. The baby is a baby. That's the thing. Once there has been life started, they're a baby at that very moment, all the way on through. So. We stand for life, and at least half the country, at least half the country, goes against that. I'm beginning to think it's more than half now. The way that it's mounting, it, it, that's a sad thing. To think our country that we're from has the right to kill someone, even though their size might be a little smaller than others, they're humans. Even though they have a, uh, I guess you could say a level of development, maybe it's not quite developed as could be, right? Or an environment, they happen to be in a womb. They're not in the same environment that we are. But if uh, we still don't judge people because of their environment, do we? You know, you, you know, look at you look at that. You know, it, a human is a human. It's just staggering. And they would oppose us vigorously and they took great joy. And their government leaders and people that were around when they announced this, they were shouting in victory and joy. That is an offense, first of all, to a holy God. And they will be judged for that. But it's an offense to what we believe in too. So we know this nation, one day, could be sooner than we even think, will be judged for what it has done since, what, 73? Millions of babies. But there are many other things that we stand for. Of course, we know that uh, churches have been persecuted to a degree. Nothing like what the rest of the world is, but it, it is happening And it's not easy to be a Christian to stand up and say that because most people would like to jeer at that and make fun of it. Some Christians actually believe that when you have Christ, He actually died to make your life very comfortable and to make it easy and to be having riches. I can tell you, Christ does bless us with riches and sometimes I mean we're the richest people in the world ever I think in history if you want to take monetary value <laughs> we just kind of you know f- compare it with other people where else in the world and down through the years have they had what we have available food and technology, transportation get in a car boom we're in somewhere in ten minutes where it would have taken hours to get there you know think about that. I mean, this has happened basically within our lifetime. Comfort we do have. But you know what? Jesus did not die to make our life comfortable. Christ died to make our eternity, our eternal life comfortable, though. And that's where ultimate comfort is. But we actually have comfortable lives. But how is it that some Christians envision the Christian life to be a life of worldly prosperity? How can we accept that kind of teaching knowing virtually all the apostles were martyred? All of them were persecuted. How can we accept this kind of teaching when Paul was in prison, stoned, whipped, and left homeless and hungry? Look throughout the Scripture and you see what happened to Jesus. What happened to the prophets? It never was the pattern. And now it's like everything changed and we can have mansions and helicopters and planes if you think that way. And, and Jesus said it's a narrow road. It's a difficult road. There's a broad and easy way to the kingdom, but it leads you to what? Destruction. Destruction. Why then do we, Why do we choose such a difficult road? Life is hard enough for anybody because we know that this is the right road, Jesus says, to follow on the narrow way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We take the difficult road because we know it's the only means to fulfillment. The right road. So that's what Jesus is saying. He could have said it another way. He could Right here in Luke, He could have said, broad is the way to destruction. Easy is that way. You want to take the easy way? Or you want to take the hard way? The hard way is the narrow way. It sounds a little bit constricting, but it's the only way. It's the only method that God ever picked to do. Well, that's the first guy. I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus said, hey, I don't even have a home. I don't have a bed. Are you sure you really want to follow me? We get no answer. Verse 59, and here's our second part of our three-point outline. (laughs) It's easy to outline, like I said. I knew before I outlined that, hey, this is going to be easy this week. But then I'm going through the text and I'm going, oh, this is not easy. This is hard. And he said to another, now this time the guy is not saying, hey, I want to follow you. This time Jesus said, follow me. But the man said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But it's for you. Go and proclaim everywhere in the kingdom of God. Now, a little bit different kind of a tone here, right? This is the call by Jesus. Come follow me. It's a matter of what we've already seen in chapter 9. Self-denial. Sometimes it's almost like, as I'm reading, I'm studying this, I, I'd like to go to you guys here in the church and say, hey, does it seem like sometimes maybe I, I've, I'm i thinking one way here and this is all I'm talking about lately. Does it seem like I'm making the, the Christianity a hard thing? I, I'd like to talk to other pastors that I, I really trust and, and, and uh, respect, other friends that I have. And say, hey, you know, here's what I'm saying. Am I on the right track here? Am I? Have I gone off a little bit? Am I a little bit too hard, too harsh? Now we've had people in the past that have said that that I'm I'm a little hard and harsh. And I said, I'm not trying to be that way, but we're hearing these texts and we have to treat them the way that they are. And so therefore, they didn't like what I had to say and they left. Well. Uh, I can't apologize. If Jesus apologized, then I can apologize. I, I think I'd probably say it less than the way that Jesus said it. But whenever it comes to another th- subject, then I'll take that and go with it. It might be it sound like the uh, the opposite sometimes, where it might be about the love of Christ and His mercy and His grace. Well, we talk about that too. But when it talks about stuff like this, it seems like, man, Dennis, do you have to keep picking on us? <laughs> In Romans, the book of Romans, the first three chapters, when we did a study on that, and, and uh, remember those days when we had Bible study in the store? Those are really good old days. I'll never forget them. They were just, just awesome. We, we uh, started out in the book of Romans, and it took us a long time to get those three chapters, didn't it, Penny? It was week after week dealing with the sin of man. And it seems like that's all I was talking about. Seems like, oh man, you really, you really take uh, a lot of joy in talking about man's sin, don't you? You know, it seems like, uh, but that's where we were, we were at. Well, here's where we're at here, and it's, it sounds rough. Uh, Jesus says, give up everything. Why? Because the value of Christ is infinite. We're on the second dude here. My goodness, it's 22. How does time fly? Well, I keep repeating the same thing. The next two guys are going to go by pretty quick because you want to know why? It's the same thing. Jesus is consistent. Just different ways of looking at it. Okay, what about this? Larry, Let me bury my father. Okay, you know, I think everybody here would, would have a little bit of difficulty with this. We know Jesus is right, but am I taking... What does this mean? You're thinking, okay, this man has just lost his father. He's dead. And Jesus says, forget burying your father. Don't even go to the funeral. Come and follow Me. Does that, is that what He's saying? That's what it sounds like. Face Face up, that's what He's saying. But let's go into it a little bit further. Uh, first of all, even though the man did what he was reasonable, any person would have said what he said. What's the deal? Well, I think that this addresses us all too. We talked about comfort a well while ago. This is about earthly commitments. Uh, certainly funerals, burying the dead is a, is a commitment if you're in a family, right? But Jesus, what he does, he takes it all the way to the extreme. One of the things that we're supposed to do is take care of our our family, our, our mother and father, and you know, whoever's else in our family, we have responsibilities, right? But the issue that Jesus is getting at is let's start with family. Family comes before Jesus much of the time, doesn't it? Family is more important than Jesus. That's not right, can family become idolatry? Yeah. Yes, in Judaism, bearing family members was a priority, like it is here, right uh, a valid reason um, if you were here to the, the hearing about the death of your father and you just heard about that and you're on the way to to take care of of things and get with the family and such. Jesus said, follow me. What would you do? And and that's kind of what this looks like here. You'd go there as quickly as you could to get there, wouldn't you? You've just learned about that. It sounds like a very acceptable excuse to me. Some commentators, though, kind of maybe help us out here. I'm not going to tell you that this is the absolute truth and the way on this. I think it is something to consider but there's then I'll come back and take this in a literal sense again, but I think these commentators have a good point. That there's no mention here of a recent death in the family. And really what this man is saying is let me go home, let me attend to my family, and wait for my father's eventual death. It looks like it's not going to be very long right now. He's really got bad health and... and uh I need to stick around for that. Whenever he dies, I'll have an inheritance too. And I'll get some money so where I can follow. Now, are you seeing where that could be a little bit more legitimate? His father maybe hasn't even died yet. Maybe it's off for a while. It could be weeks, months. It could be years yet. He says, but then I'm ready to follow you then. I must bury my father. Now, that's a familiar Middle Eastern statement. And it's still used. I must bury my father. Um, I've got to stay at home until I can take care and bring that estate to its final conclusion. So I can't make a commitment yet, Jesus. I have to stay here and do this. Uh, I will receive an inheritance and that will help all of you guys. Just let me stay here for a while. I'll follow you someday. I know what you're saying. But, you know, does that make sense there? And I really think that that could be what it is. And a lot of commentators, good commentators say that. And I have tended to go along with that. Still kind of do, but on another sense, what you have here is it's not mentioned in the text. We don't see that. Uh, It could be alluding to that. Suppose that his father did die that morning. And He's going to be buried later on that, that day. And you're the oldest son. You're responsible. Jesus comes along and says, follow me. Follow me. What, are you expected to stop and don't do the arrangements and follow Jesus? It's, it's regarded that His duty is to do that, Right? doesn't following jesus now appear to be vastly more important than staying back to bury your father well and, and believe me if we were in this we're not put in this position none of us is and that jesus say if you will really love me don't bury your father but what he does say is take it all the way and he's dealing even even with family and it's like You want me to follow you. Yes, because let the dead bury their dead. Let the spiritually dead bury their dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Are you willing to give up everything? And Jesus has taken to this, to this point. No matter if it sounds humanly ridiculous... Jesus says, are you willing to give it all up? Are you willing to give up your family? If one must choose between the two activities of digging a grave or preaching the gospel, which one are you going to do? Are you going to take the most important one? It, it's not that Jesus is going to keep us from doing something that we're supposed to do. That's honorable. But what he does is he takes it all the way to this point. Doesn't following Jesus doesn't it make more sense that this is vastly more important than staying back to bury your father, even your father or your mother. If you must choose, and I think really here's what what we can really come to. If it comes down to the point of choosing only one of the two, which one are you going to choose? Now, it sounds crazy and ridiculous. Do you see what Jesus is doing, though? Obviously, for most of us, we don't have to make that choice, do we? But which is more important? Is doing that appointment that He's supposed to do biblical? Yes. But at the same time, even more important is proclaim the Gospel. Now, interesting, of course, the funeral is where you can proclaim the Gospel and one of the best places to do that, isn't it? But let the dead bury the dead. This is just shocking. It's just absolutely shocking. This is Jesus. You you know, you wouldn't use this in an everyday situation trying to bring one to Christ, would you? It flies right in the face of what everybody expects. Jesus is love, and He is the man's request for a delay seems reasonable until you begin to look at what Jesus says in response here. Let the dead bury their own dead. He's saying that it's a job anybody can do. The spiritually dead, they're unbelievers. They can do that. An unbeliever, I you know they can handle burial as well as a believer. And they do. If our Lord indicates it, it would be better if an unbeliever buried the dead rather than one of being rather than uh, one of his disciples. It would be better if an unbeliever buried his dead rather than that disciple doing that. What was the man's request as far as it came to him it was reasonable? What Jesus is making here, I think, is saying. Follow me, no matter what. No matter what. I think what it could be saying is the best excuse possible, the best excuse possible, even though it's as biblical as can be, should not ever get in the way of true discipleship. And he delayed. Jesus is saying, I want you to follow me, what? Now. Don't worry about anything else. Who's the most important? Your family? And that's the extreme where this goes. Or Jesus? Jesus is deliberately doing this to shake up this disciple. Not because Jesus doesn't want us to care about our families, but He's emphasizing the most important thing there is. Just how important is it to follow Christ? Let the dead bury the dead give ourselves. We want to give ourselves to our families. That's biblical, right? Yes. But whenever family comes in the way of what your duty to follow Christ is, no compromise. Follow Christ. And that's what it comes down to. If we had to make a choice as some people have between following Christ and following family duties, which one would we choose? What's eternally more important. Jesus saying, am I more important to you? Am I even more important than your own father? Your own mother? Your brother? Your sister? Aunt? Uncle? Cousins, right? Who's more important? That gets us to the third one. Last two verses. And this is at the expense of everything else in life. 61. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord. He says, Now, you know, this, it's just like he was right on the heels of what we just talked about, and he says, I'll follow you, Lord. You know, it's almost like a self righteousness there. But, and there's the problem, first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Now, that does sound reasonable, doesn't it? Here again, Jesus stretches this all the way out. I'll follow you. I'm not going to be like that other guy. I'm going to follow you. Uh Let me go and just just say goodbye. Let me let me go give a, a hug to mom and dad and and, and brothers and sisters. Uh, you know, I want to follow you. The delay just seems so minimal. It hardly appears to matter when we you're only talking probably a, a short amount of time here. And if you have Elijah and Elisha you know Elijah calls Elisha to follow him he go, yeah, that's right he called him but he said, first let me let me go and say you know my goodbyes and I'll follow you and what uh, did uh, Elijah say, no, you follow me now." no he said, yeah go ahead you can turn to first Kings chapter 19 verse 19 S- seems contradictory almost it's not. So uh, Elijah departs uh, from there. You have Elisha, I mean, and and so he departed from there and found Elisha. Elijah does the son of Shaphat while he was plowing with twelve pairs of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. Now here you have the oxen, you have the plowing. So, sounds like you know what's happening in, in Luke there. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. He's saying, "Follow me." That's recognizing. You're my one who's going to be following me. He left the oxen, ran after Elijah and said, Please, let me kiss my father and my mother, then I'll follow you. Does that sound legitimate? Absolutely. I would always say, make sure whatever you do, make sure to keep it right with your family, right? He said to him, Go back again for what I have done to you. So he returned from following him and took the pair of oxen and sacrificed them, boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen, and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. What did Elisha do? He did go back and you know to to give them goodbyes, which is the right thing to do. He even takes what he had done before the oxen. That's what he was plowing and his tools, the implements, the instruments. And what did he do? He gave it to the people. Of course, they, they ate because he he knew that he would not go back to that again. He was done with it. Did a good old-fashioned book burn it? <laughs> I had to burn my albums. I watched them melt on some of those hard death metal stuff that I used to play. Uh, After I came following Christ, and I'm not saying that that's the thing that everybody should do, uh, but to me it was an old of, of saying, I don't need that music anymore because everything about it is totally against what I now believe. And so it did my heart good to see that melt because I wouldn't have the temptation to go back and listen to it. I didn't need it anymore. I had a new song. And believe me, that was a difficult thing to do at first. I hung on to them for quite some time. There they were. And I'm not giving any credence to me. Oh, what a bold thing to do, Dennis. It was just that I knew that, hey, I have a temptation here. I don't need that staring at me. Well... Here we are, we're with this one man and we've seen the Elijah and Elisha story and said goodbye, but you know what Jesus is saying? If you bring up the Elijah and Elisha incident, there's someone greater than Elijah. Jesus is saying, I'm worth it. I'm greater than Elijah. If we're going to take it to this extent, here's what I expect. I'm greater than anything that you can give up. I'm greater than your mother or your father or anybody else that's close to you. I am greater, and don't you forget it, because if they come in between me and you, you have an idol. And I've got a difficult situation with you now, the Lord is saying. I'm greater than anything in life. Everything in life that you treasure the most, I'm worth it all. Matthew ten thirty seven, hard statements. Matthew ten thirty seven. That's something that he would even get into the family. People that are the most closest to us, and we should have people close to us. But do they are they are they first before Christ? Jesus is saying, if you turn after you're putting your hand to the plow and looking back. You're not fit for the kingdom of God. Look at this, what he says in Matthew 10. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He's saying family, anybody that you're close to. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Take up the cross, follow me, right? He who has found his life will lose it this sounds familiar. Like we've been in Luke, haven't we? And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Wow. Matthew 10 says you have to hate your father, hate your mother, hate your brother and your sister. You say, What? Jesus said that? Yeah, read it. But it has to be read in context. And we're talk- I'm not talking about the, the hate that the way that humans take that. But we have to see that whatever it is, you know, Jesus says, hey, if you have, have a problem with a sin or something, cut your arm off. Cut your leg off. Right? If you have trouble saying things, you know, just uh, take out your voice box or knock off your ears. Whatever it is that causes a Is He saying that literally, physically? No. But He's saying whatever it is, don't even get close to something that separates Me from you. That's really what the idea is. And so the proverb, when it says you can't follow Jesus looking backwards is the idea. You can't be plowing a furrow looking backwards, can you? You can't drive a car by looking in the mirror, turning around and keep going. Now, people are doing that today. Have you seen that lately? There's a movie out. Was it Netflix? Somebody has that. And, and they blindfold themselves and they go walking around stumbling into that. What, how stupid can you get? <laughs> Who wants to get hurt? You're going you're gonna to walk into walls. You're going to fall and hurt yourself. Well, there have actually been people that are driving cars blindfolded. Somebody sitting by them giving them directions. And of course, you've seen some of the things that they've done. Of course, they've ran into other cars. They've uh, ran into all sorts of things. Um, Jesus is saying, you can't have a divided heart. You can't be, as in Pilgrim's Progress, Mr. Facing Both Ways. You remember Pilgrim's Progress? Mr. Facing Both Ways. Remember that one, Nandor? You you guys studied Pilgrim's Progress on Sunday afternoons. Quite Quite a time going through that. Good study, wasn't it? If you want to plow a straight furrow, you've got to keep the plow lined up, fixing your eyes on the object ahead. Right? Looks... That is so simple. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you're going to follow Me, follow Me. Do it now. You don't look back to your past life and realize, oh, there's a lot of things that I give up. I'm not so sure I want to do that. This man really had a yearning to stay home. It was not just saying, bye. Jesus wouldn't, you know, oh, no, I'm not going to let you go to your, your family and say Bye. You must be ready to give up everything that you hold dear. Don't delay. I'll give it back to you a hundred times over and over. If you hold back anything, you can't go in. Wow. He wants disciples whose hearts are not divided. He's more important than anyone else. Are you ready to give up everything and follow Him? That's what Jesus is saying. God is calling us to do this in this congregation. Are you willing? To keep giving up the old person in you. Give it up. Follow him. Have thine own way, Lord. We have a long way to go still yet in this life, don't we? We have a long way to go. The only way that we get there is all by God's grace. And there's where the good news comes in. It's His grace that we can do these things no it's not pull yourself up by the bootstraps it's saying I'm going to live every day every moment I want to live by God's grace because I can't do this stuff and you're right and that's what Jesus wants to hear then he says okay do you trust me enough follow me follow me no matter how how it goes against the grain of your human thinking remember these human thinkings here they went extreme didn't they but do you see what He's really saying? Does this help this morning? How important is Jesus to you? Is Jesus my treasure? Is He my everything? Let's pray. Father, thank You for this passage that Jesus taught on. And it's very difficult. It goes against the grain of human thinking. And takes us up to the level of kingdom thinking. Help us get to another level and another level and another level because of Your grace and Your glory. And as we continue on just being worshiping You and fellowshipping with You and eating together and ministering or whatever else we do today, individually or as a group, may it really honor You, Lord, because we are sold out to You. You are everything. In Your Son's name, Jesus. Amen.